Well, we're now going to come to our time where we read God's word to us. And this morning it comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to 23. Continuing our series through Romans, Phil Velicott is going to come shortly and explain this passage that's about to be read out to us. And I'm going to hand over to Judith, who's going to read that passage out, and then Robert will pray for us as we hear God's word. Thank you, Robert and Judith. Our reading today is from Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these words of scripture. We thank you for all the instruction that they contain. And we pray, Lord, for Phil as he preaches upon this word very shortly, that you will empower him and that he would make your truths very clear to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit might work in our lives too, Lord, and we pray for grace to be obedient to the things that we learn so that we would go away today, people more determined to worship you and to serve our wonderful God. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much, Robert and Judith. And I hand over to Phil, who will come and explain that passage to us. Well, thanks, Dan, uh, for leading us uh, this morning in our service. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you um, or, or your phone handy, it'd be good to have um, that chapter of Romans 6 open uh, in front of us. Because Romans chapter 6 is the chapter in Paul's letter that explains... Uh, to Paul's readers why becoming a Christian changes their relationship with sin and the law. And the first part of chapter 6 tells us that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have a new life in Christ, one that is under his rule and love. And because we have this new rule over us, we now have the power to fight sin inside us and follow in a new way of thinking and living. And the second half of the chapter begins with a question in verse 15, which is where our passage begins this morning. Look at verse 15 with me in your Bibles. What then? 
Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? So put simply, if we're saved by grace, we're living under grace. What is, sorry, put simply, if we're saved by grace and we're living under grace, what is there to stop us from sinning and completely disregarding the law? Can we continue to sin because grace just says that the law doesn't matter anymore? And Paul's reply in this section is no way, no way. The law is important because by it we live as though we belong to Jesus' rule and love. And in order to help us understand that principle, Paul relies heavily on the image of slavery. Now, this is not the same kind of slavery that we're used to hearing about, the the sort that was prevalent in the 18th and 19th centuries, where the slave trade was brutal and oppressive. Rather, the imagery that Paul uses here is the picture of a slave in the average first century Roman household. These slaves were people who were valued as being integral to the household. They would teach the children. They would manage the house, the food. They'd fill in the tax returns. They'd take the children to Alton Towers. In many cases, the slaves were willingly devoted to the house. And they'd done that permanently because of a bond of love that had grown between them and their owners. So that's the picture that we're to have in our minds when we're talking about slavery in this passage. Slavery means something that was common to them, a willing servanthood born out of love and gratitude. And there's a sense in which more than ever we need to dwell our minds on that picture of willing slavery in this passage today. And the reason is our world is so uncertain, so in flux, that unless we fix our belonging, unless we identify ourselves as slaves to Jesus then we are in danger. We're in danger because on the one hand, if we don't see ourselves as belonging to Jesus in this way, as truly his slaves, then we won't see the power that Jesus has given us by the Holy Spirit to live the new life that he has given us. And as Christians, the danger is we will drift. We'll say, oh, you know, I'm grateful for Jesus' salvation. We'll go around thinking he's great, but our lives will still be the same of the secular world around us. Why? Because we won't see the point of his lordship changing the sins that we are secretly in love with. That's one danger. The other is if that we don't really see ourselves as truly belonging to Jesus, then we won't be grounded in his love and we won't build our lives uh, and we will build our lives on another lordship. We'll build our lives on something that's more important than him. So when the storm of this COVID world hits us again and again, there's a high probability that we will be torn apart because we've invested so much in something that is not Jesus. It might even break us as we see what we build our identity on broken by this world. That might be family life. And how, it, how that is wrecked already, especially with the prospect of a COVID Christmas looming. It might be careers. How many of us are trapped in dead-end jobs because of the employment uncertainty of our times? Or it might be acceptance on social media. And look how toxic that has become in the last year. 
If we live belonging to anything other than Jesus, belonging to this world, then our lives will be governed by how this world shapes us. But you know, the good news of this passage is that when we become Christians, it's not simply a ticket to the grand passive cinema of heaven. When we become Christians, we become slaves. Slaves not to this world, but slaves to Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us. And there are three things, therefore, that Paul wants us to know about being a slave to Christ. And the first is this. We're all slaves to something. So being a slave to Jesus is a no-brainer. Being a slave to Jesus is a no-brainer. Look at verse 16 with me. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are a slave of the one you obey? Whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? The point that Paul's making here is that everyone is living according to a code, a, a, a set of rules, whether we like it or not. And you may be thinking, well, no, I don't actually. I, I've, um, I, I've, I've washed my hands of all rules and regulations. I, I don't have a, a religion. I don't have a, a religiosity. I, I'm, I'm just me in my world. Well, do you know what? You've just made up your own code of rules. And you're a slave to that code. One commentator put it like this, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by whatever is the Lord of our lives. And Paul's basically saying that either we're slaves to sin, our old worldview, or we choose to be grateful, loving slaves of Jesus. Now, I don't know whether that comes as a shock to you. It might be that you've never seen the freedoms that our culture is so proud of in this way. It might be that this is the first time you've ever thought about autonomy from God as a form of slavery to whatever controls us. But it makes sense, doesn't it? We're born into this slavery until we're freed from it. And particularly that slavery to sin. And yet the truth is, when we're freed from this slavery to sin by believing in Jesus, we enter into another kind of slavery, one that is motivated by gratitude and one where the law is a helpful guide that teaches us how to love our Lord Jesus Christ more and more. So if we're a slave to Christ, we don't go on sinning. We're no longer under the condemnation of the law, but rather we have been saved for obedience to it. And the difference is so subtle, but the power is so wonderful because it gives us a whole new perspective on what it means to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our souls and all our minds and to love our neighbors as ourselves. The power to do that comes through grace poured out upon us by the love of God through Jesus Christ. Being a slave to Jesus is a no-brainer. But the second thing we learn about being slaves to Jesus is this. Slavery to Christ means being captivated by God's love and transformed by it. Slavery to Christ means being captivated by God's love and transformed by it. Look at that amazing truth in verses 17 and 18. He says, but thanks be to God 
that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set, set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And the point is that obeying God's law is actually a freedom from the slavery of sin. You see, when Jesus saved us from our sin, that that moment our eyes were opened to his love and we realized our need for forgiveness for his work on the cross, for his love, we came to obey his teaching, his word from our hearts because it has claimed us. He owns us. It's God our allegiance. And because his love is in our hearts, his teaching has captivated us. It reminds me of when Liz and I were going out. She lived in Nottingham and I lived in Reading. And because we lived a long way away from each other, we would regularly write letters during the week. These were in the days before email was common. Believe it or not, I'm that old. Yes, thank you. Some days I'd come back from work and there'd be a few bits of post lying on the doormat. One would be a bill, another a bit of junk mail offering some amazing pizza deal. And then there would be the letter from Liz. And my heart would start to beat faster. Other bits of mail suddenly became rubbish to me and I'd quickly open her letter so I could read her words once more again and again and again. You see, Liz's letters were the ones that I would read and reread. I'd think about them, I'd ponder on them, I'd obsess, I'd obsess about them because she has my heart. I was then and still am enslaved to her because I love her so dearly. Her words captivated me. In the same way, God has revealed his love to us through his pattern of teaching, through his word. God's word has revealed the love of God to us. It saved us from the slavery of our sin. God's word has claimed our allegiance, has bound us to Christ, and tells us more about him. No other teaching will save us in the same way. And just as I was captivated by Liz's letters when they dropped on my doormat, so too the Christian is captivated by God's love and God's word because we belong to him. And that shows us that belonging to Jesus is not a freedom to do whatever we want. It's not that we're just freed from past sins and, and therefore we've got our ticket and we, we don't have to think about salvation again. No, as Christians we're set free from sin, that, that rule and that world and that worldview, and we serve a new master, righteousness, the rule of Jesus Christ in this word, uh, through his word. That's what becoming a slave to him is about. And what are the blessings of this rule? Well, verse 19 tells us, look at verse 19 with me. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Holiness means a life set apart from this world following God's word. And it's that life instead of a life of ever-increasing wickedness that we used to belong to. That is a complete transformation, and it's a sobering salvation for ourselves. Why is it sobering? Well, consider the direction of a worldview where Jesus Christ is not Lord. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, explains it like this. 
Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. This must either be true or false. Now there are there are a good many things which I would not be which now there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to live only 70 years. But I'd better be bothered about them if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps it might be my bad temper or my jealousy which are gradually getting worse. But ever so gradually that the increase in 70 years will not be very noticeable. But the thing is it might be absolute hell in a million, in a million years time. In fact, if Christianity is true, hell is precisely the correct technical term for what it would be. It is chilling to think about this end. This end result of a slavery to sin. That our sin will continue for eternity in hell and there will be no common grace to act as a break on it. Sin in hell will only grow and metastasize. And if we've chosen to live away from God in this life, God will confirm that choice in the life to come and we will endure its consequences. But here's the good news of Jesus. The consequence of a slavery to righteousness works in the opposite direction. Offering ourselves to righteousness that leads to holiness in this life means giving ourselves to Jesus' word and his works, and it works on us in opposite direction. Oh, sorry, in an opposite way. His word heals us and reforms us. It doesn't break us. It heals us and reforms us. And we are being changed from glory into glory until Jesus returns. And that is the great work of God's word in us. You see, this is, this is God's love letter to us, isn't it? This is where God has, has written the great revelation of his love for us to us. And it means that it's working in us to change us. It's working in us to reveal more of Jesus Christ to us. And just like a, a love letter landing on our doormat that we just want to read, well, so this is God's love letter to his people. And I hope that whenever we read it, whenever we open it up, there's that sense of preciousness in our heart. This is not just ink and paper. This is not just some 2,000-year-old historical document that has no meaning for us today. This is God's word. You know, I, I love the Anglicans. When they, whenever they read um, the Bible in church, they always end with this phrase, this is the word of the Lord. And the whole congregation responds, thanks be to God. Now, I honestly reckon that in most cases, it's a kind of aut automatic response. Not really thought about, but when you think about it, you know, you're, you're, you're on your laps, on your phones right now is the very voice of God, his love being declared into our hearts. This is the word of the Lord. 
And I pray that whenever we respond to that, we, we don't respond in an autonomic response, or auton, autonomic way, but we genuinely say with our whole hearts, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Do you know the last thing that Paul teaches us about being slaves to Christ is this, that slavery to Christ will lead to holiness and eternal life. Slavery to Christ will lead to holiness and eternal life. Look at verse 22 and 23 with me. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul just puts the contrasts of the different destinies of those who are slaves to sin and slaves to God. The truth is, if we don't obey the law of God, we become slaves to everything we idolize in this world. So whatever we worship other than God promises much but delivers worse than nothing. It's a slavery. It's a constant treadmill of seeking to grasp or keeping hold of something that can never really deliver. Slavery to this world only delivers brokenness. And it's not just a brokenness that lasts in this life. It's a brokenness apart from God, a death that will continue in the life to come. Rejecting God will pay that wage in full. And we have to contrast to this kind of slavery to what God saves us into. Because he saves us into holiness. Those who offer themselves to obedience grow the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And we enjoy the liberty of a new life from slavery to sin. And we look forward to enjoying that life in eternity. And it's really important that we don't misunderstand this. This does not mean that just as sinful works bring death, so righteous works earn us eternal life. No. Sin pays what we deserve, but eternal life is only and always the gift of God. So serving God does not win us eternal life. It's only ever a response of gratitude for, for what God has given us. Eternal life is God's great gift that was won for us on the first Easter day when Jesus rose from the dead. And he proclaimed that all who trust in him as Savior and Lord will rise again like he has when he comes again. And that is a joyful end point or beginning point for all those who are slaves to Christ. Because one day we will be transformed into his glory and perfectly reflect his perfection on that day. Now just as we finish, it's worth addressing the reality that this path of holiness 
is not smooth. It's full of bumps in the road and failings. The truth is that for the Christian who is struggling for sin, though, that there is hope. We might have failed yet again to control our tongue or failed yet again in what we've lusted over. It might be that we failed to act in the right way and it might feel that we're still slaves to sin. But that's where we have to take these verses to heart. If we're feeling like we're, losing, uh, we're fighting a losing battle, then we need to know that we are under grace not law. We are in that realm, not the old realm. The transfer from one reign, one rule to another has taken place. It is a past tense action. And we're to take comfort in that, to trust in God, to help us increasingly live under our, own, uh, under our new master. And when we fail, then we take our failings to the cross. And know once again the grace of God poured out on us to forgive us. And that means when we fail, and we will, we have the right to get up, to confess our sin, to seek forgiveness, and to ask God for the strength to continue in the fight, knowing the hope that is to come when on that day this struggle will be ended. And practically sometimes I find it helps when tempted to sin to preach to myself, verse 19. Let me read it again. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When faced with temptation, the Christian is a slave to Christ. That means we are now able not to sin. It means we're able to fight sin. It means we've been given that power by God the Holy Spirit to enable that to happen. And let me just remind us that holiness is not something that just happens to us. Don Carson, I've said it a thousand times, Don Carson said, we do not drift into holiness. Holiness is a discipline out of gratitude. It, it reminds me a little bit um, of when I was a teenager. I, I used to, um, the, the school Christian union used to um, uh, sort of bus a bunch of us into a local township to help um, um, disadvantaged children, black children, um, with their English. And what I loved about their attitude to education was this, that whatever homework we gave them, whatever task we gave them to do afterwards, the following week, they would always be back having done that task. Why? Because they were grateful. And similarly for us, holiness is a grateful discipline. We strive for holiness because Christ has given his life for us. It's a response of disciplined obedience out of thanks. And that's the point that Paul is wanting us to understand here. Christ has saved us for glory into glory. For a life lived under his rule, by his power, and by his Holy Spirit in us. And therefore, we have been given this opportunity and this life 
to live. To live in freedom and slavery, ironically. To live in holiness, fighting our sin, so that he might be glorified as we do so. And that's where Paul wants to end this passage in praise and thanks. Praise to God for the grace that he's given us. And grateful thanks to our Savior for the work that he has done to free us from the slavery of sin that brings us under the rule of his grace. Do you know, in response, we're going to sing um, a great song. And please do stand in your homes and sing this with great joy. We're going to sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. This is the place we go to when we sin, when we fail, knowing the great grace of God that has saved us from the slavery of sin. And that last verse, they're beautiful words. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's sing this now together. <laughs>